With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. A moment of sanity in a sea of madness. Katie Hopkins on today's News Talk Radio TNT. And a very warm welcome to the Katie Hopkins Show on Friday, the 8th of December. I battled my way back into my show. Coming up in the show today, Israelis call the UN the United Nothings for good reason. Is there any part of the UN that is any good? And we're discussing the fourth Republican presidential debate. Is time running out for the less than fab four that still remain? And our top three out of the UK, including a very grumpy Roland rat, Rishi Sunak. And it's funny, Fanny Friday, good people. You know what to do. I may be in the driving seat, but you are the engine for this show on the highway to freedom. Here is how you join the conversation. Katie Hopkins wants you to chat to her. Just go to tntradio.live, hit chat, and join your family chatting away. We're on the highway to freedom, where listeners drive the show. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And a very warm welcome to the Katie Hopkins Show here at TNT Radio, where it is Funny Fanny Friday, and that means Funny Fanny free for all on the chat. Uh, do uh, join your fellow chatters at TNT chatting away. You just go to TNT Radio and join the conversation. And the point of uh, join your fellow chatters at TNT chatting away, you just go to TNT Radio and join the conversation. And the point of that, of course, as you know, if you're a, a regular listener or a regular viewer, now is that you drive the show and that is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Well, I'm in the driving seat officially, but my driving is known to be a little bit haywire at the best of times. But the idea is that you guys are the engine for this thing and you power it along with your thoughts and your comments. And I love to hear them. So we're going to start off with our top three out of the UK today. Number one, the Elizabeth line. So if you're not in the UK, you don't know the Elizabeth line. It's one of the newest lines that there is, that there are on the TfL Transport for London network. Overnight, the Elizabeth line goes down. And I would say overnight, it might have been about seven o'clock yesterday, maybe. And it goes down because on another track somewhere, the overhead power lines were damaged or hit by something, whatever. I'm not that interested in the situation. But the explanation that's been given for hundreds of people being stuck on the Elizabeth Line train for four hours is that overhead cables were damaged elsewhere. And no one's questioning that because we've reached the weird point in life where if someone gives someone an explanation, that's seen as good enough. And it's blowing my mind, this. No one's asking beyond that. So so hundreds of people on the Elizabeth line, it goes down, so they're in darkness, it's freezing cold. I know, first world problems, because they're not in the Arctic, and yeah, worse things have happened, and they're safe on a train line, and there's seats, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. But it goes down, so they're in darkness. They, the... um, line that they're on stops communicating with them. So for about 30 minutes there towards the end of the time they were on the train, no one was telling them anything. 
And at that point, while you don't want constant communication, you do want regular communication every five minutes to let you know nothing's changed, still working, something, right? That's what you should do is keep up a regular uh, interval of conversation. But it's more the fact, you know, guys, that, okay, power lines went down somewhere else. Fine. Mistakes happen. Accidents happened. Right. It's that, so what? So what? Oh, well, that's the answer, is it? So power went out on a different line. And so, oh, what? So hundreds of people have to sit in the darkness, in the cold on this train. Is there no backup plan? Is there no, what is plan B? So train stuck over an hour long means we go to plan B, which is this crew get called in, they go out to the train and they escort the passengers off. Surely, surely. There should be a parallel path, shouldn't there? running. So a parallel path is how do we get those people off that train safely and get them back in the warm, in the shelter for people? I know most people can cope with that stuff, but if you're very old, you're diabetic, you've got one of the things that are wrong. Maybe there was a small child, there wasn't, but you know. How is there not a parallel path plan for when things go wrong? I I mean, if something went really wrong, clearly there is no system in place. Clearly that. Then, of course, you've got the issue of of bathroom. So people are using one end of the carriage as a kind of, I guess, men's toilet, because women would be reluctant to go to the bathroom in front of a carriage full of people, because that's just how life is. So one by one, people were being let off onto the tracks to have a wee. I have to tell you, if I'm being let off onto those tracks for a wee, I'm legging it down those tracks. I'm not getting back on the train. (laughs) <laughs> if I'm off that train, I'm staying off that train. <laughs> there is no way in God's green earth I'm getting back on once I've got off, once I've snuck off to have a wee, <laughs> not being held captive by anyone just for the funsies. Um, and so today, if you're traveling on the Elizabeth line, if you're on the Elizabeth line right now, I don't know. I just, uh, my sense is, you know, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I just feel like maybe you don't want to sit down today on the carriage, maybe just stay standing. And I felt so badly for people because people use the Elizabeth line because it's cheaper than using the Heathrow Express. So even though there's a dedicated train service that's very helpful and takes you straight to the terminal, the pricing of it is just outrageous, like £27, I want to say, for about a 12-minute journey. It is obnoxiously priced, and so people are using the Elizabeth line. But the problem for them is they were on that to go to the airport, many of them, or had in some way were hoping to get to the airport on it eventually, and they missed their trains. So not only do you have the pure anguish of being held against your will for four hours in the darkness with a bunch of other people taking a piss next to you, you've missed your train. Imagine if one person went a little bit beep, 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 or if someone overheated and lost their minds, or someone who was already unwell mentally lost their minds on a train in the dark with no help to be seen trapped on there with all the doors shut. I mean, it's unbelievable to me that this sort of thing is happening and that no, that we don't have plans in place to deal with this. And that's what this has really shown. And you can say, Katie, you're over-dramatizing this. It was just people trapped on a train. And I hear that as well. I also um, very much love the idea. I don't know if you know, but Rachel Riley, the newspaper writes like, um, and some celebrities 
were also trapped on that train. Like they matter, like they matter more than an ordinary person or like that's what makes the story interesting. What makes the story interesting is that there's no plan in place for when stuff goes wrong on these lines. That's what's the interesting bit. But they talk about the celebrities because of course that's the way to get clicks on your articles these days. But I will say, Rachel Riley was on the train. <laughs> and I'm taking great pleasure and joy in that today. I make no apology for it. I make no excuses for it. It's pure bitchiness on my part. Um, I've never really believed in karma because people always said karma would get me. And I was always going to be got anyway. So it kind of aggrieved me that when eventually I am got, uh, people will say, ah, oh, there's karma for you. Ah, oh, there's karma. She said nasty things about illegals. There's karma. And it won't be karma. It was just always in my in my path. But anyway, on this particular occasion, I choose to decide that this is karma for Rachel Riley being an absolute, well, you know, see you next Tuesday in every regard. And if you say, Katie, why are you being nasty to Rachel Riley? Rachel Riley worked with the Muslim Council in order to have my Twitter account removed and many other things that are at a much darker level that we don't go into, need to go into here. But let us just say that I've taken great delight in Rachel Riley being stuck on that train. I hope she was cold. I hope she had to take a wee on the tracks. <laughs> ah, I am that childish. The other news out of the UK that I wanted to talk about is Grumpy Sunak. Grumpy Sunak is clearly having a bad five minutes in power. He thought power was all going to be fabulous and all about making him look big while wearing construction boots that he'd ever actually used in his life. And people using camera angles and um, film shots in order to make him look taller than he really was. But in fact, it turns out that sometimes the rubber meets the road and you end up realising that your MPs are a bunch of jerks, that the British people are largely against you and the press wants to take you down. And his time is surely coming. Tick tock, tick tock, Rishi Sunak. So he basically had a press conference, which was ill-advised, and someone on his comms team should have told him that silence was his best option. But he came out because, of course, he thinks he knows best to say that it's not fair. <laughs> and he also had another line, which was, uh, I tried my best. And if you're a mother or indeed a father, uh, you'll know that you have very little time for that when it's your five-year-old or your 19-year-old. You definitely don't have time for it when it's the Prime Minister of Great Britain, who was not democratically elected and has just chosen to bring back David Cameron, who is loathed by, I would say, the consistent point of agreement in this country right now is that David Cameron is an utter cockwomble. So Rishi Sunak can expect his week to get even worse. He's basically trying to defend the indefensible, which is a £240 million scheme to send illegals to Rwanda, of which precisely, um, let me check my notes, oh yes, zero, have been removed as yet for £240 million. Starts to make you wonder where that £240 million is going, doesn't it? Quite expect to see Michel moan soon, don't you? On another large yacht somewhere. Maybe this one she can call Kigali Dreams. <laughs> Kigali Nights. Sounds like a dodgy 1970s porn movie, doesn't it? But any the which way, uh, money is being thrown at Rwanda and whoever's getting that. It won't be just the Rwandan people, will it? In fact, it won't be the Rwandan people at all. He's still throwing money at it. He's holding a vote in it. Robert Jenrick has signalled to uh, the further right in the party that they shouldn't be having anything to do with it. Um, I'm hoping that he loses the vote. I wouldn't mind at all if he was thrown out either, because frankly, I care so little for any of these politicians. 
I don't see how they impact on my life any which way right now. And the country is currently on its knees. The other thing I wanted to talk about is the top three story out of the UK. And this one fits perfectly into Funny Fanny Friday. If you haven't seen the delightful Miriam Mashiri, um, perhaps someone on Tribe would be good enough to just put her name up on Tribe or even share the clip. I just want to spell it out for you because it's an unusual spelling. Uh, M-A-R-Y, so Mary and then A-M, Mariam, but like I guess that's Miriam. And then Moshiri, M-O-S-H-I-R-I, the gorgeous woman. Uh, she's a BBC News presenter. She's fab. And she started off, so you hear the countdown, do, 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 do. that's me doing the BBC News pips, not quite authentically, but go with so they lead into her doing her news briefing. Uh, and there's a lot of sad news, obviously, because you're going to have to do Gaza. You're going to have to do Hamas. You're going to have to do a nod to Israelis. You're going to have to so serious, serious, serious. But in the seconds before uh, she believes she's gone line, live, pardon me, she flips the bird. So she flips the bird to the camera in the seconds before she thinks she's gone live, but obviously it's already gone live. So she's caught flipping the bird and pulling a silly face in the seconds before she switches it out like a pro, goes into dark and somber mode, ready to talk about Gaza. Some bar steward at the BBC snuck back into their recording system, which of course records everything and clipped that clip and posted it up, at which point it went viral. Now, whoever did that obviously knew what they were doing and causing trouble. But my message to Miriam or Mariam, uh, Ms. Mashuri, is, darling, do not in any way allow some small-minded little social media twerp who is reveling in your supposed humiliation to put you down. Own it. You flipped the bird on BBC News. You've got it back together in a heartbeat. And you made people laugh. And you brought them some joy. And you've probably become the meme of 2023. You are the meme for December. For anyone who's had enough with their employer, anyone who's had enough with their family and friends, you are now the person that represents them. And lordy lord, do people who've had enough need a voice right now. And you've just become it. Get yourself a T-shirt with the bird on. Don't mess with me or I'll flip you. Whatever it is, get it, own it. Write a book the day you flip the bird on the BBC News Network. And the out, what, what fell out of that, but the joy of that, uh, the good stories that have come out of it, people emailing you to tell you that they think you're terrific and not to worry. Uh, you cannot be shamed unless you allow yourself to be shamed. So being shamed is something that is done to you. And the only way you can actually be shamed in life is if you accept it, right? It's like someone giving you a dodgy gift. The only way that dodgy gift, let's say it's a crap candle, comes into your life is if you accept it. So look at shame in the same way. What's a dodgy present? I don't know. A tin of cocktail fruit. Don't accept it. That was quite a random 1970s sir. Uh, <laughs> thought, wasn't it? Do you remember cocktail fruit in a tin? <laughs> Very war years off me. Don't accept it. Shame you can reject. You can say, no, I don't accept that. I'm not going to be shamed by you. And you can be glorious in it. 
right? So that's what I say to Mariam. I say, be glorious in your moment. Uh, you gave people a laugh at a time when we need a laugh and you flip the bird to the nation. And honestly, I'd say thousands of us are right with you. and We'd love to flip the bird to the nation as well. So good on you, bird. Um, darlings, when we come back, we have to take a short commercial break, much to my chagrin. Um, I want to talk about uh, Douglas Murray's article, uh, which is about the United Nations and how so many facets of the United Nations are so incredibly useless. I do want to talk about electric vehicle numbers because EVs are dropping off a cliff. What is the actual future for EVs? And I also want to talk about, if we may, um, the fourth Republican debate. Um, in some, I just want to get us a quote from each of the individuals who was at the debate last night. It was all about attacking uh, Nikki Haley. She was the agreed target point, it seems. So go nowhere, good people. Much, much more to come in the Katie Hopkins show here at TNT. We're going for a short commercial break. We'll be right back. Go nowhere apart from to the chat. My name is Katie Hopkins, and this is TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Enough. We are sick and tired of breathless headlines like Senator Josh Hawley goes off after FBI Director Christopher Wray admits no one is being fired for targeting Catholics. And Ted Cruz hammers FBI Director Christopher Wray for sitting blithely by as FBI is weaponized. And Senator Mike Lee, FBI Director Christopher Wray, you have a lot of gall, sir. This is disgraceful. Uh, I'm going to write a sternly worded letter to the editor. I mean, come on. We understand that Republicans in the Senate have very little power, them being in the minority at the moment. But we need more than breathless headlines. We need more than investigations in the House. We need more than subpoenas. So-and-so's been subpoenaed. So what? They thumb their noses at us. You cannot run in 2025 based on we're not Joe Biden, because guess what? It's probably not going to be Joe Biden. It's probably going to be Kamala or Gruesome Newsom or somebody else. So articulate a plan for the country. How are you going to fix this government so that it is never weaponized against the American people ever again? For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me, and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing 
reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Katie Hawkins on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And we are back, my loves, with the Katie Hopkins Show here at TNT Radio. What I'd like to talk about next with you guys is the United Nations and your views on the UN, maybe more generally, but specifically when it comes to Israel now and what is going on there and the extent to which you think the United Nations are a useful asset or an ally for any of us in our lives and particularly how that works when it comes to Israel and Hamas. And speaking kind of from personal experience, um, with time that I've spent in Israel, one of the things that I was able to observe firsthand is that anytime you're near the border between uh, Israel, say, and Gaza, or anytime you're uh, on the line between Palestine and Israel, you will see these UN white vehicles, either white trucks or white vans uh, with UN on the side. And there's lots of them around. They're positioned at a lot of the lookout posts. Uh, they're positioned at a lot of the defense stations there. Wherever, I guess, the IDF is, typically you'll find uh, some of the United Nations white vans. You also see the UN patrolling around. So uh, when I was in Palestine, uh, two UN individuals with blue helmets on, you'll see them patrolling around together. And I guess the idea is that they're there to be peacekeepers or observing peace or keeping an eye. And the question is, what happens when there isn't peace? Um, one of the questions is, what, what does the United Nations, what is the purpose of it when there isn't peace? And what actually would they be useful for. So those are my questions to you. Please do go to Tribe, go to chat. Um, what is the purpose? Maybe you have an example of the UN being brilliant at something, because I would love to hear that. Maybe you have personal experience with the UN and you can share that because I would love to hear that as well. Um, but I remember distinctly, and it was the first time I'd heard it, Israelis that I was with, or certainly um, our Israeli hosts who were um, giving a commentary on the particular area where we were looking out over, uh, were saying, oh, and over there you'll see the United Nothings. And this was way back before all of this next, this latest intifada is kicking off. Uh, and it was, it was striking to me that the absolute agreement on the Israeli side was that there was absolutely no point in the UN. And there's little wonder for that when you look at how the UN treats and speaks about and joins together to bash Israel. Now, this will be obviously slightly challenging um, as a thought, and many people probably wanted just to swear at me. If you're pro-Palestine, which you'll know uh, for me means that you also have to be pro-Hamas because Hamas is intertwined with Palestine and we can have this row up the yin-yang and I'm really happy to have it every day. But, you know, it's very convenient for you 
if you think you can separate out Palestine and Hamas, the reason that the IDF are currently attaching water hoses to the tunneling systems underneath Palestinians in their homes and hospitals and schools is those tunnels run under homes and hospitals and schools. And that is where Hamas are. And they will be flushed out by the IDF with good fortune. And I know I speak on only on my, uh, this is just my opinion, right? Because I'm disagreed with vehemently by many people. Uh, the United Nations, they run away, right? They run away. Um, anyway, the, so there's an old joke about the United Nations and Douglas Murray writes about this in The Spectator, but the, the joke is um, if the United Nations had a football team, who would they play, right? That's the... And, it, and it's why Israel, of course, and I don't need to explain jokes to you, I appreciate, but this idea that everybody on the UN works together against Israel, um, there may not be much humour in it, but there's plenty of truth, right? So despite Israel being set up by UN vote, it has been the world's premier forum for Israel bashing, particularly since the country won wars of self-defense in 1967 and 1973. Perhaps the most notorious moment was Zionism is racism resolution in 1975, when the foundations of the Jewish state were suddenly under assault. On that occasion, the late great Democrat Daniel Patrick Moyahan gave one of the best counterblast speeches ever given on the floor of the UN. And he goes through dissecting all the areas where the UN has proven itself to be either fundamentally biased or utterly useless. Uh, so he talks about how uh, from the UN, Israel is always in their sights. Uh, the Human Rights Council in Geneva does little else but knock Israel around. How can you sit there for day after day and listen to the representative from North Korea claiming human rights abuses in Western democracies? Uh, last month, Iran, <laughs> couldn't make it up really, could you, um, was given chairmanship of a UN Human Rights Forum. So Iran, chairmanship of the UN Human Rights Forum. <laughs> so you could say, right, okay, well, that's just the UN Assembly and the UN Human Rights Council that are off their rocker and deliberately against Israel, if you go along with my way of thinking, which of course many of you won't. But then you go to other examples. So I don't know if you guys saw the UNRWA, uh, members, so that's the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. I think it has a $9 billion budget. Do uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just looking here on um, on Tribe. Um, Dirk had a Palestinian on his show explaining that Israelites and Palestinian in the arts are friends, but the Israelites have a, had a two-way pass and the people in Gaza had to stay in place. Oh, I think that's an interesting um, thing. And absolutely, I, I, there's so many Palestinians and Israelis that are friends. And um, as for the two-way pass, well, uh, my, uh, my personal experience is that uh, many, many Palestinians, the reason that there is so much suffering and there will continue to be so much suffering is that because of the way Palestinians are treated by their own governments, uh, the PLO and others, many, many Palestinians 
on a daily basis commute to work into Israel. So they are given a pass into Israel to work. And you see the Palestinian plates as they come in. There are restricted areas that they're allowed to go. But with their work pass, they're allowed to come into Israel, do their day's work, and then go home again. And it's a way of them getting the money that they need in order to be able to look after their families because they can't do that in Palestine because Hamas and the PLO doesn't care about its people. The other thing that happens often, and I've seen an example of this with my own eyes, is Palestinians can come across to Israel historically to be treated in hospitals. And many Israelis work as volunteers. Uh, please do let me know if you've been involved in any of this so that you can back up what I'm saying, because it will be helpful. Um, Palestinians can come over to Israel to be treated in their hospitals if they can't get treatment, which typically they can't, in Palestine. So they'll be brought over. Volunteers from Israel will go and pick them up. They'll get treated and they'll get taken home. Obviously, that will get taken away now as well. So, so many things. But yes, absolutely, for many, many years, away from the war, the factions, young people being taught to hate each other, there have been people who were able to work together and that element did work. But I still hold firm that there can only ever be a one-state solution, which is obviously tantamount to being Hitler if, if you say that live, which I do. So then we have a look around at other UN. Do keep your comments coming, please. I am. Um, I'm trying to. UN are just like FIFA. Uh, someone's saying, is it just me? I prefer to listen to TNT radio than watching it. Ah, so smart. So smart from my darling vegan. Thank you, Benedict. Uh, last week, UN women. Yeah. So UN women have been silent. So they have been silent on the matter of um, rapes of Israeli women and what went on on October the 7th. So UN women held their silence and they finally released a statement last week saying, and it was such a, they must have, I think, sat in a room and worked for literally hours on how to make this statement as innocuous as possible. Like if you were to write a statement from the heart, it's so easy to write something from the heart. Um, so the UN women released a statement saying, this is why on, so the condemned the, it condemned the Hamas attack, adding, this is why we have called for all accounts of gender-based violence to be duly investigated and prosecuted. You, you would have to try really, really hard to know that Israeli girls were gang raped and shot in the head as that was happening. And to produce a statement that says, all accounts of gender-based violence should be investigated. I mean, it's the amount of effort it took not to say something that yells out from that statement, doesn't it? all accounts is so non-specific and purposefully. Right, so let's go back to UNRWA, which is Relief and Works Agency. So members of the UNRWA are on record as praising the October massacres of Jewish people. And I think you, you guys may have seen um, on social media, there was an Israeli hostage who said that they had been held for 50 days by a UNRWA teacher. So that's the UNRWA with 9 million, I want to say, pounds in funding 
dollars possibly holding the hostages on behalf of Hamas. This is why when I say you cannot separate out Hamas from Palestinians, I don't know that you can separate the UN out from Hamas, really. UNICEF is meant to have one job, to safeguard the well-being of children. And yet it was silent for weeks after the abduction of 40 Israeli children. So where was UNICEF? So that's UNRWA. So UN General Assembly, always putting the boot in. UN Human Rights Council, who had Iran heading up their Human Rights Council. UN Women, refusing to say anything. And then other UN bodies. So, you know, think about the UN is supposed to negotiate ceasefires, right? The UN is supposed to bring peace. Um, the futility of the UN. The UN has been so ineffective at getting ceasefires in Syria and Yemen, and yet has been exceptionally eager to pass resolutions demanding a ceasefire in Gaza, right? So they can't get a ceasefire for love nor money in places where that have been utterly ignored, like Yemen, no one cares, do they? They care about Hamas. Suddenly people who couldn't give a single rat's armpit about Palestinians, you know, a month ago, suddenly find themselves throwing themselves on the floor, demanding that you speak up for the genocide of the Palestinians. Why? Why so picky? Why so choosy? Why do you suddenly care about Palestinians? Did you? I didn't hear a word from you about the people of Yemen. You know, where where are you on that? Or is it just that this happens to be newsworthy and popular, so now you really care? Same with the Ukraine thing. Oh, you really, really cared, did you? You really, really cared, so you put the flag up in your garden, then you took a couple in as pets because the government said they'd pay you to do it. But today, now it's about the Palestinians, so you don't care about the Ukrainians anymore. The fickleness of these people who think they're dying on a hill over this. And tomorrow, another story will come along, and then you'll move on to whatever is the most flavoursome opinion that you can have, and you'll leave the Palestinians behind, never having visited their country or seen anything of this for yourself. Let's imagine for a moment that the international community were to do something meaningful to end the war in Gaza. What would it be? People start talking, this is Douglas, people start talking about the necessity of a UN peacekeeping mission and the like whether it's in Gaza or the West Bank. And this is where the effects of the UN self-delegitimization really kick in, because we know from Seb Branica, oh my God, remember that. Peacekeepers, God, I've seen that. Oh my, the footage. Peacekeepers will stand by as utterly unbelievable crimes take place. That was the Dutch and other examples of UN peacekeepers moving out because it was too unsafe for them and leaving local peacekeepers to be slaughtered. Oof. A really excellent piece by Douglas Murray, a really excellent piece about how the futility of the UN, and if I may, just as we head into uh, the commercial break, uh, I want to bring um, sort of, uh, I want to, to offer uh, a perspective, I suppose, from the UN, because I've had my say now about how I personally think the UN are useless and futile and have no purpose and should be defunded in most regards. But in, I don't want to, I don't want to say the word balance because I don't seek to be balanced on this show. I do try and read out your comments. Yes, Somalia. Mm. 
remember that. But what I do want to do, if I may, uh, just before we head into commercial break, I would like to play you the voice of this gentleman. Um, he is from the, emer he heads up emergency relief at the UN. And this is him basically very despondently saying that all attempts at emergency relief or humanita humanitarian help uh, in Gaza have effectively broken down. So this is him being very dramatic and very serious. And I don't want to undermine what he's saying because I appreciate many people are siding with Hamas and Palestine and, and you know, that's your decision. I will preface this by saying, let us remember Hamas and the PLO have always treated their people as their first line of defense. When they go on the attack, their own people, their own children, their own schools, their own primary schools have always been their first line. Their infantry is their own children and they are bred knowing they are being bred for jihad. So you can say, Katie, that's not really fair to do that. I accept your criticisms. And uh, let's take a listen to this guy saying despondently from the United Nation, basically, we may as well give up because there's nothing we can do. Take a listen. The pace of the military assault in southern Gaza is a repeat of the assault in northern Gaza, that it has made no place safe for civilians in southern Gaza, which had been a cornerstone of the humanitarian plan to protect civilians and thus to provide aid to them. But without places of safety, that plan is in tatters. Without places of safety, that plan is in tatters. And then I feel like you have to go on to saying it's in tatters because Hamas lives amongst its people. If Hamas came out and gave itself up, people would be left alone, but they're not. So they will continue to use their own children. And I want to state very clearly before I go into the break, um, because uh, and thank you very much for all your comments, which I'm reading on Tribe. And thank you for your support. But I want to say very clearly, uh, my very clear alliance will be, always will be with the Israeli people. I stand very firmly on the side of the IDF as someone who has spent time with the IDF, who would have joined the IDF, in fact, who has celebrated the IDF up in Hebron, which is the front line of uh, the fight that is endless and perpetual with the Palestinians. Uh, the fight will go on. Uh, I truly believe there can never be a two-state solution. I've said this clearly um, and without apology on Israeli media. I've said it on French media and I have been attacked and had lawfare against me. I'm not sure what I lost off the back of that, but it will have been one of the things that I own, whether it was my house, my children, my right to work or whatever. And I will continue to say it. There will never be a two-state solution uh, in Israel and Palestine. There will never be peace in Palestine and Israel. While one side always wants war, they were offered peace and they didn't uh, choose to accept it. Palestine has always wanted land in exchange for peace. The only thing you can exchange for peace is peace. And it is an absolute, people are kidding themselves if they talk about the genocide of Palestinians without knowing that Hamas is Palestine and Palestine is Hamas. Uh, you can do what you want to me. You can fire me. You can 
bludgeon me. You can try and take the clothes off my back. You will not change my opinion on that. And I fully respect your right to have the opposite view. Uh, I fully respect your right to think differently for me. And I fully uh, anticipate that the next time a more sexy story comes along, the people currently desperately prostrating themselves for the Palestinians will move along to whatever gets them the most clicks on the next news story without ever having visited Palestine or Israel. And on that, my darlings, we're going to go to a short commercial break. My name is Katie Hopkins and this is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. They say that everybody has a podcast these days and I recently found out that Roseanne Barr has one, so I guess it's true. Now, I soured on Roseanne when she did this at a Padres game back in 1990. Well, here she is 33 years later on a podcast, hers, with none other than Tucker Carlson. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to the Roseanne Barr podcast. I got a good one today. I got the guest of all guests. How do you feel about Trump saying he would consider you for vice oh, president? Oh, gosh, I don't <laughs> I put that in the category of asteroids striking the Earth. <laughs> good or bad, uh-huh. it's so far out the side, outside of my control that I... Would I mean, you? I'm flattered. Yeah, it is flattering, isn't it? For sure. But I mean, it's hard to, you know, I've never been in politics. I've never. Would you ever do it? Would I accept? Yeah, if I you really I have to think you. about that. Um, I mean, I spent my whole life looking at politicians and commenting on them and passing judgment on them. And I've never run for, you know, room mother. And so the idea of that is so far from anything I've ever done. It's kind of hard even to imagine. I didn't hear the word no. <laughs> Did you? Thanks, Roseanne. And thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Even the thought of dementia can feel scary. It's why we put off getting help, even though we've noticed changes in our thinking or memory. But an early diagnosis can change everything, giving you medical help and a support system around you to help you live better. Start with Dementia Australia's online checklist. Because the sooner you know, the more you can do. The most banned woman on the planet, Katie Hopkins, on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Yes, my darlings, and we are back. The most banned woman on the planet. (laughs) Although, my title actually is in some jeopardy, isn't it? Because now I've been reinstated on Twitter. My ban list <laughs> is starting to come off. Um, you cannot compare. I'm just looking at some of your chitty um, chat chats. Hold on. Uh, spot on, Katie. Please get Avi Yemeni on as a guest. Oh, love him. Yes, I'll absolutely do that. Avi's, uh, I've spent quite a lot of time with Avi over the years, uh, whether in Australia or Canada, or I guess we find ourselves on the streets together quite a lot. I love him. He's uh, he's a big, well, I say he's a big teddy bear. He's a little teddy bear. It's one of the really weird things about Avi and Tommy is that I tower over them, which is <laughs> which isn't right in my head. You know what I mean? Because they're to me, those are big guys because they're doing good stuff on the streets, especially Avi recently. He's, he's 
always somewhere uh, on the road, which is glorious. I love it. Um, but I really want those boys to be six foot six so they can swamp me in their little arms and pick me up. And they can't because they're only about five foot three. It's really <laughs> if I could have my time again, I would have it that Abby and Tommy and others are just much, much bigger. <laughs> but yeah, we should get Avi on. He's glorious. Uh, we need uh, more funny, funny Fridays on Friday, Katie. This is all a bit serious. I yes, agree. That's fine. Uh, blimey, who let the air out of Roseanne Barr? Yeah, Roseanne Barr. Oh, oh, I see. You've had a look at her on the. You've been looking at her. I get it because she's in vision. This is the issue. This is the issue. We start talking about what people look like. And always, 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 the boys get away with looking like a bag of crap. But how very dare you, if you're female, uh, look anything different to how you're supposed to look when you were 10 years old. Um, EV markets, I quickly want to, I do want to talk about the presidential debate. We are moving along to more joyous things than Hamas and Israel. And you'll notice I have been uh, scantily covering it because I think we're all probably a bit sick of hearing about it from different people with their different perspectives. But anyway, the EV market. So yesterday, very exciting news because cash had uh, gone on a massive upward trajectory, 19% usage of cash, huge numbers for cash coming back from a crash over the last two decades. And the post office, uh, the most tran cash transactions in history from June through August this year. So super proud of everybody fighting back uh, for Keep Our Cash or any of those campaigns and doing a marvellous job. And um, certainly out on the road with speakeasies and whatever else. Uh, that was really a moment where, you know, you, you'd go to good news as part of the conversations we were having. And when you got to the cash bit, you, the audience would go crazy because each one of them, I think, knew that they were part of that. And being part of something, even if it's just spending cash instead of with a card, is an act of defiance. And one of the things I really encourage people to do is small acts of defiance, because we don't need everybody to be doing the stuff that gets you locked up or gets you losing your house or your job or your head or any of these things. But if everybody does a small act of defiance, um, those small acts of defiance really do add up to transformative shifts in the marketplace that commentariat, the media and the markets cannot deny. And that, to me, is the joy of this thing. And that's why we need to keep the pressure on with small acts of defiance. And every time you put, uh, I was going to say a pound note, oh, every time you put a pound coin down as payment, you are a small act of defiance. And uh, that to me is a message and, and it's a message you can pass on. If someone says, I just don't know what to do. Cash, cash, cash is a way, a better way than voting of having your voice heard because it's very awkward for those who want to digitize us uh, when we're saying that we want to keep spending our cash. Good. Second thing, electric vehicles. Good news. Uh, their market, we talked about this once in the past, I do remember, because the market for cobalt had dropped as well because people weren't investing in it because they could see the trajectory of electric vehicles. They're cheap to run, they barely break down, and perhaps most of all, they're far better from the environment, says this person. I don't care about all of that stuff, but I care about this. Sales of EV slumped by 17% in November. In November. 
one month, the largest ever monthly fall. I love it. I love it. And the other figure I just wanted to give you just to make you happy on Funny Funny Friday, because you need more Funny Funny Friday, because that's what you're asking for. Uh, the Office of Budget and Fiscal Responsibility, yes, sounds like a very dull place to work, had forecast that EVs would account for 67% of the market by 2027. Guess what they account for? 38%. They've had to change it from 67 to 38 because they've got no hope and they know it won't make 38 either. It'll be sub 35, but they just didn't want to say it. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well done, everybody. Well done, the people. Let us go to the presidential debate. Fourth round. Uh, you've still got Nikki, you've still got Big Rod, you've got Vivek, and you've got Chris Christie. Uh, so what I wanted to bring you is just a little sousson, a little flavor of the debate. Uh, first up, we're going to hear for Chris Christie. Now, if you know Chris Christie, he's a big old guy. And he's the one guy who's like not basically, no better way of putting this, he's not up Trump's ass. And he's here saying, you lot, you're all up Trump's ass. And too bad you for that. So let's take a listen to Chris Christie. But the fact of the matter is the truth needs to be told. And for us to go 17 minutes without discussing the guy who has all those gaudy numbers you talked about is ridiculous. I'm in this race because the truth needs to be spoken. He is unfit. This is a guy who just said this past week that he wants to use the Department of Justice to go after his enemies when he gets in there. I mean, the fact of the matter is he is unfit to be president and there is no bigger issue in this race, Megan, than Donald Trump and those numbers prove it. I love, I love the, I love the Megan. So the uh, adjudicator, the lady running the panel, is called Megan. But I just love that out of context, like, like you know, yeah, okay, Sharon, uh, okay, Sharon. <laughs> we have gone seventeen minutes without talking about Trump. Okay, Megan. <laughs> So Chris Christie, interesting, uh, he is the guy running for president or running to get the nomination, and he's the one calling out Trump. He's the one saying, we have to do better than Trump. We can't just have a repeat of Trump. None of you will say it because you were all up his ass. I'll say it. We don't need Trump. So that's a bold position when you think about the number of Trumpers uh, that are out supporting Trump and that Trump's numbers at the moment, it is bold to say, no, we have to do better than Trump. Okay, let's hear from Vivek. I believe Vivek Ramashwamy is just in this game to self-promote for the clicks, for the views. And after this, you'll see a book coming out that's already part written and and certainly uh, has a he has a publishing deal for a potentially a stand at a theater tour of the U.S. Uh, maybe he's posting host for he wants his own show and he'll be given a show on a network because he's lively, he's animated, he'd be great actually as an anchor for something. Uh, let's take a little listen to Vivek Ramaswamy in action. With all three of my other colleagues on this debate stage, is all three of them have been licking Donald Trump's boots for years for money and endorsements. Ron DeSantis, you've been a great governor, but you would have never been one without actually begging Donald Trump for that endorsement. And you attacked him in your Nikki book Hayley. a year ago. Same thing with Chris Christie as a lobbyist, begging them for COVID money for his special interests in New Jersey, prepping him for the debates last time around. These people are now Monday morning quarterbacking some decision he made. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted 
to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia. So Vivek there is, uh, so Vivek's talking points are typically very Trump, very strong on uh, Trumpy points, talking points, MAGA massive. He is kind of the voice of MAGA in that way. Uh, he's very bold because he has nothing to lose, right? He has no office to lose. He has nothing to lose. So he may as well just get out there and give it loads. And he will be kind of uh, used on the, on the talking, speaking circuit after this for a very long time. So he's done okay for himself. Uh, quickly, as we head to the top of the hour, I want to give you a little glimpse of Ron DeSantis speaking out against Nikki Haley. Uh, let's take a little listen to Big Ron. Respond to the criticism. It wasn't about the parents' rights and education bill. It was about prohibiting sex change operations on minors. They do puberty blockers. These are irreversible. Talk to Chloe Cole. She went through this. Now she's an adult. She's warning against it. She may never be able to have kids again. That is what Nikki Haley opposed. She said the law shouldn't get involved in that. And I just ask you, if you're somebody that's going to be the president of the United States and you can't stand up against child abuse, yeah. So this was where Nikki Haley came out and said that when it comes to trans matter, the law should stay out of that. So this is Ron uh, using the debate to highlight that Nikki Haley said the law should stay out of matters to do with trans. And because of the way and the the way Americans vote, they would not stand for that. So Ron's team are probably, I would suggest, trying to use this as a way of getting her out of this race. The idea that the trans uh, message is so important that if you're not willing to go super firm on trans in the way that Ron is, this is a way of kicking Nikki out. So that was just a highlight of the of the presidential debate. As you'll know, Trump is still massively ahead uh, in the polls and still down to beat Biden, though question mark, will Biden even run? Uh, but these four runners and riders, they know that time is ticking for them and time is running out. And very soon, one of them is going to have to assert themselves as the contender. And that's before we start on the other candidates in the background, like Kennedy, who's you know, I love him. Despite the fact that we just learned this week, didn't we? That he's been on Epstein's blooming plane twice. Good Lord. Anyway, my darlings, it is Funny Fanny Friday. Thank you uh, for being with me here all week here at TNT Radio. I'll see you next week. Uh, my name is Katie Hopkins and this is TNT Radio. 